Sport Australia is a peak government body managing a $400 million budget and overseeing around 100 national sporting associations, with a brief covering everything from grassroots participation to elite performance programs. This week, Onesie is back presenting Sport Australia CEO, Rob Dalton. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. Before his Sport Australia role, Rob, of course, will be familiar to many listeners for his 10-year tenure as chair of Hockey Victoria. He should be well known to Tigers fans as a board member who inherited a $6 million debt in 2004 and oversaw a program that revitalized the finances, developed alternate revenue streams, and now sees the club with some $35 million in the bank. Oh, and a couple of premierships along the way. Closer to our hearts, though, you'll hear how in 1979, Tony Thornton and Al Carnell had a chat with a young Rob Dalton and encouraged a move over to Camberwell Hockey Club. At that time, our men hadn't even made the finals for 25 years. Rob became a premiership player, a member of our team of the century, and with coach Argus and superstar players like Wayne Thornton and Wanzi himself, ushered in the golden era of the 1980s and laid the foundations for our continued success today. A treat this episode for Camberwell History Buffs. Thanks, Rob, for your time. Here's Wanzi. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast this week, and we are very privileged indeed to have Rob Dalton, who wears many hats, uh, always have. He's been a very busy man, but he originally got to know Rob as a player at Camberwell, premiership player, a very fine player at the club with a great history. But since then, he's had a really interesting story, which we'll get to. It's included involvement at the Richmond Football Club, a successful career in accounting at uh, Ernst Young and Arthur Anderson. And of course, now he sits as the CEO of Sport Australia. So it's a it's an amazing resume. It's um, everything that Rob's attacked is done with great intensity, great diligence and great success. So it's really fantastic to have you on board. Welcome, Rob. Yeah, thanks, Wani. Appreciate it. I, I guess we'll start with, uh, I'll come back to the Sport Australia. That's, that's quite a fascinating role now for you and a challenging role. But let's get to how you came to Camberwell because that in itself is a great story. Um, you know, my recollection is a number of players came across from Moorabbin, uh, which I guess we liken to Southern. Uh, it's where I guess Moorabbin evolved to and um, not, not dissimilar in a lot of talented juniors when you came across. Do you want to sort of give us some background as to what prompted that move and, uh, and how it all happened and who came with you? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, look, it was a it was a, a great story because I was uh, I was playing at Moorabbin and had had a lot of success as a junior. As you know, we were an incredibly strong club, uh, and in fact, uh, I was very blessed in in my junior career to have played in a uh, uh, A grade premierships in juniors uh, every year that I played, and you know that was that was just an amazing thing. You know, many people miss out on playing in premierships at all, and um, you know, and also, you know, I played uh, I played first grade for for Moorabbin in uh, when I was fourteen years of age. So I, I sort of, you know, had uh, uh, some really good opportunity and, and played state hockey. And I remember um, I played in a, an exhibition game actually out at Albert Park at the the old soccer stadium uh, where the under uh, I think it was the under sixteens played the under fourteens. And it was stinking hot, and I've never been that great in the heat. And I played an absolute cow of a game. Well, the, the following day, I get a phone call from uh, from Tony Thornton, who I, I knew and uh, knew of. I'd never never actually met him. You know, amazing player. You know, son of Keith Thornton and brother of Wayne. 
and uh, he said, oh, we'd, we'd like to come around and have a chat to you about hockey. And uh, I was quite I was quite surprised. And they came around and asked me, um, you know, if I would contemplate going to Campbell. And uh, it, w- it was a bit of a shock, to be honest, because uh, they, they'd said they'd, what, they'd been out to watch me play in this exhibition game. Uh, and I said, well, I've really had a pretty bad game at that, that stage. And they said, no, we think you could fit into our team. And you know, amazingly, uh, you know, at that time, uh, that was in that was that was late in nineteen seventy nine, and Campbell. Uh, I tell people this story that hadn't actually played in the finals for twenty five years, and you know, this this club with this amazing record of premierships under Charlie Morley, and yet they hadn't played in the finals for twenty five years, and uh, and and it was just it was really interesting, and you know, Ellie Cownell and and Tony were the the two that came and. I still remember to this day, and Tony would remember as well. I used to, at the time, I'd just finished my year twelve, and I was uh, I was working in a bank as a bank clerk. And Tony came and had lunch with me and sat outside the the bank, and and he was really he was a really terrific fellow. I always had a great deal of time for Tony, and uh, and you know the two of those guys actually you know convinced me to come across and, and my parents. They did it all the right way, and uh, uh, what a what a moment that meeting those two guys changed my life. Yeah, quite amazing. Amazing. I didn't know all the detail behind that story, except I just remember because you're a couple of years older, this big six foot four strapping fullback. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, not just yourself, but your talented younger brother and, and other players who you might um, mention, you know, it was a, an influx of players. And when you mentioned that 25 years, my last, that's quite a bit of a risk in a lot of ways, you know, to move. Yeah, it was. And, and Campbell just kept finishing. And I knew, you know, everyone knew Wayne Thornton and what an amazing player. And I, you know, I was just so fortunate to have had the experience to play with a genius, and uh, in fact, play with a couple of geniuses because I'm I'm talking to one. But <laughs> it was it was really amazing. In fact, I came across in 1980, and uh, uh, my brother Stephen uh, or Wally, as uh, as he's known, and, and Greg Reed didn't come across until uh, the following year, and uh, I had I had to actually play. Uh, uh, Moravan actually got promoted. And uh, I actually actually had to play against them, which wasn't particularly good down at Shipston Oval, uh, against my good friend, uh, you know, Julian Jones and all those guys. But what what happened? Actually, it was two years later that you know my, my, my brother came across Greg Reed, as everyone would know, Rito, uh, Neil McLean, who uh, you know had also played with Moravan, and, and another guy I played with, uh, Alan Hart. They all came across. We had uh, we had this influx of Moravan players, and. Um, uh, it was a special time because it was exactly the same time. In fact, I, I arrived on the first night of training, uh, and that was that was Argy's first night of training as well. Uh, and I'll, I will never forget. I, uh, you know, it was the old cl- the old change rooms. In fact, the the old change rooms had just been built because the uh, in fact the old ones were still over the other side of the ground. We had that old uh, one of you'd remember the old uh, the, <laughs> the really old ones over the other side of the ground. And I remember walking around. We parked in the car park and walked around. And my dad was there because he he'd driven me over. I was only I was only seventeen, and uh, standing there, almost like it was this was supposed to happen, was was Keith Thornton done up in a suit and tie, and and of course he's just uh, he's put his hand out and said hello, handsome. And I, I was just taken aback by this guy that called me handsome. Well, it was uh, it wasn't too long before I knew that he called everyone handsome or princess because he couldn't remember anyone's name. But, um, you know, and, and I'll never forget, it was like yesterday in that he said, um, okay, what, uh, what team would you like? And I said, well, thanks, Keith. I'm, I'm actually hoping to get a game in the first if I could. And he said, oh, of course, that's a given. But uh, 
you know, it's mandatory that you coach a team. Which one would you like? <laughs> and, uh, and I was that was the that was the very first moment I was exposed to the Camwell Hockey Club, and I said, uh, "Well, look, I I, I don't mind." And uh, I ended up coaching the uh, the under tens, and uh, in the under tens was a whole bunch of guys that most people might know in Grant Trelope and Dougal Jelly and Richard Friend and Matthew Franks and all these guys who I ended up coaching them for their entire junior career and gave speeches at all of their twenty firsts. Incredible! So it really was. Experience. Yeah, look, that's uh, these are great parts of the of the story. I mean, a lot of people listening to this recent to the club wouldn't know Keith Thornton so well or, or Tony or Wayne, but they're incredibly influential and um, big influences on on as the club started to succeed. And of course, Don Argus, you mentioned, um, and and just the fact that you were you know coaching then at a young age and for a number of years, and obviously did it with such uh, passion and had an impact on those young people. I'll come back to your ability to be a mentor. I know you've done it in your work role and, and you continue to do it in sport and we'll talk to that. But So you came to Campbell and at the same time there were some other players, Don Argus arriving. Did you get the sense that things were starting to happen in that first couple of years or, or what sort of time frame did it take to get moving? Yeah, it was a real, it was a real blur to me because actually, you know, the, the club had some amazing talent and, uh, you know, we're, we're even back then incredibly strong but just really didn't quite, uh, you know, just didn't get up quite quite get it done in the, in the in the seniors, and it was it sort of coincided at a time as as you know with uh, with guys like Dave Cashmere and and Brian Ambrosius and and his brother and 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 we we got a, a, a young guy across called Grant Broadbent from uh, from Doncaster again only sixteen or seventeen years of age, but but you know quite talented. And, and we got a couple of um, you know guys called you know, Peter Peter Beaumont, who was a very long-standing player at the club. Sort of got this second wind, and he was a very talented player. And, and a guy called Greg Payne, and and Mince came back from overseas. So we we sort of had uh, you know we, we we weren't sort of overly uh, you know with with a whole heap of really good players. But the great thing was, and when I look back at it, you know it wasn't too long. I, I mean, I I started coaching. Uh, and and Rosie was 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 one of the young boys that I that I coached, and you know there, there was there was some signs there were some really good players, you know the young Ambrosius, uh, Rodney, and uh, you know Matty Dipnell and these sort of guys. There was a, an enormous amount of talent, and and I'd sort of played against them in juniors, and I just thought this is this is really happening. And in the first year of Don, you know, just his discipline. At being able to get us focused, and it was a very different game back then, and we were playing on the uh, uh, on the cinders at, at Camberwell. But his discipline was just amazing, and it and it sort of allowed Wayne to be the focal point. Uh, and I'll never forget the first time I met Wayne, and it was literally the first time I met it met him. Uh, he was just such a freak player, totally different, you know, in in, in so many ways. But he walked up to me and he said, uh, "You know what this is." And I said, yeah, it's it's a hockey stick, Wayne. And he said, if you can see it, you hit it to my, to my to my stick, okay? If you can't see it, you don't hit it. And he said, and if you don't hit it to me and you can see it, I'm going to kill you. And so we, we started this uh, this relationship between the two of us and uh, he was playing for Australia at the time as centre forward. Uh, and just this young kid from Moravon and, and he got me down to train with him. Uh, and and I did the, the the Australian training session, and I've never thrown up more in my life. It was uh, it was just ridiculous, as you would know. But um, we had such a great bond, and, and the, the guy was a freak. He was just simply a freak. 
I think to for people that didn't didn't see him and don't remember him, I think the best way to compare him to say a footballer might be someone like Dermot Brereton. I think he had that yeah. not necessarily yeah. that he was physical with people, but just he had that presence and yeah. showmanship and talent and a bit of that. That's probably the closest I example I can think of, and um, and, a, and a big personality. So, and then um, Rob, the, the era, of course, which I think in previous podcasts we've had Don Argus on and um, uh, had Jay Stacey on, who talked about his time when he came to Camberwell. Um, you know, really golden era in a lot of ways. Obviously, won some premierships, but it was more than that off the field, wasn't it? These people were going through their careers as well. A lot of influential people, whether they were accountants or plumbers or whatever they were doing, we sort of we all shared that journey, didn't we? Yeah, it was it, it was amazing, and you know, I can still even how long ago it was. You know, that was you know that was you know some thirty forty years ago. I still remember, you know, Arg was just such a figure, but he surrounded himself with other people that, you know, I mean, training session at Camberwell was always so inspiring because we had a lot of people came down, you know, and I, I, I wanted to actually mention at the start of the, the podcast, you know, my, my thoughts go out to everybody at the club, you know, for the passing of, of Pete Collins, who was just an instrumental part of my life. And, uh, you know, he arrived around the same time and the barbecues and, you know, he used to cook. My, my dad would bring the. My dad was a butcher, and he would bring the meat over every Thursday night, and they would they'd cook it all up. And we had such an amazing time. And I know that the uh, the barbecues have sort of continued. But you know, Pete um, Pete made uh, my my wife's uh, wedding ring and engagement rings, and you know, he it was just uh, it, it was an amazing place. Uh, and I grew up enormous enormously in that time because I was surrounded by successful people. And even in the coaching, you know, what it did, and, and no disrespect to bankers at the time, but, you know, I didn't do particularly well at school um, simply because I was so focused on my hockey and, you know, there are many, many uh, aspiring hockey players out there that would do the same thing. But, you know, by, by doing the coaching, I met these amazing parents and the amazing parents all became, you know, really supportive of me and trying to get me to become something because they entrusted me with their children. And so, you know, people like uh, Barry Trollope, who many will remember, you know, a very successful businessman, and, um, and and there were many others that really encouraged me to go back to university and study, which I which I ended up doing. And uh, you know, they 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 changed my life. You know, they they really did. They put me on a different path that I was so lucky because you know, in 1984, uh, you know, we won the we won the premiership, and um, I think it was in 1986. Unfortunately, I had. Uh, I had a horrible injury once. I think he might have been over in Perth. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, I had a hockey incident, which uh, I ruptured two discs in my back, um, and that was the end of my career. And so if I hadn't have had that, that encouragement and all the people around the club that were – it was just such a successful vibe. And, um, you know, it just turned into I'm only sitting here now uh, because of, of the Campbell Hockey Club. Yeah, well, I think uh, it's a great story, but I think, you know, you clearly, that those parents identified and the club did somebody that you know, very quickly, if they didn't know your your passion and your enthusiasm, so whatever you've attacked and you've made a lot of your own luck, as they say, because you went back and studied and, you know, to then become a, a significant partner, a significant career at a, at a major Australian or global accounting firm um, to take a senior role there. Um, it, was, it was an incredible journey in itself, the sporting part has been terrific. But do you want to just talk a bit about that? You know, you managed to combine um, the same time you were following your, your your sporting passions, you had an injury, but you you did throw yourself into your career at the same time, didn't you? 
Yeah, look, I, um, you know, the one thing, and I'm sure there are lots of, of people listening that have had injuries, and I, I really struggled. I'd have to say I was vice captain of the club in uh, in '86 when I when I got injured. We we had won a premiership in '84, uh, and uh, in in '85 we got we got stiffed by Waverley, and unfortunately, um, you know, one nil. That was that was really disappointing. And and then the following following year and the preseason, I. I had the um, uh, the injury, and and so I, I really struggled. Argy really tried to keep me involved, which was just in, was just an incredible thing. I it's in, just so grateful for his involvement in my life, and you know, great that I'm I still actually uh, you know communicate with him as do you. Um, but but I think you know when I, I I just success was just something that that oozed at that club and and every day I went in there and I just thought wow I'm just this, this is and and I really just took that that same rigor that I did that I was taught at the club and doing the best that I could possibly do and I I just despite the fact that I did very poorly in my year twelve uh, I was able to throw myself into university and. Um, I ended up graduating in the top five percent of my year, uh, which was which was quite staggering. In fact, uh, Wands and I did a bit of study together. In fact, I, I remember one time, uh, Wands, you may not remember it, but uh, but I was at uh, I was at Caulfield Monash, and I got a phone call uh, from you um, uh, saying uh, the races are on tomorrow. Uh, are you interested in going? And I said, Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I can. He said, Well, listen, my my mum's locked me in my room, but I can get out through the window and, <laughs> and come over and go to the races. Well, it's a bit of a bit sad, a bit sad that we're both obsessive personalities. But I remember that day, Lord of Camelot was back from threes into six to four and got up and won by a couple of lengths. If I'm right, Lord of Camelot. <laughs> that rings a bell. It rings a bell big time. And, uh, and he said, Well, you, you had to uh, get a ladder to be able to get back into the house. Uh, very good. So EY, you Arthur Anderson, you, you got yep. to, and that in itself is a whole other story as well. But it, yeah, you, know, you got to the top of the tree as a partner there, and then it basically you know, folded effectively, didn't it globally? But then you restarted again, and yep. Chung, that must have been a pretty challenging time. Yeah, look, I, I uh, very fortunate. I worked incredibly hard. Arthur Anderson was, uh, you know, was fourteen, sixteen hours a day. I think I did for ten years. I, I mean, I was really lucky. I made I made partner after eight, and then in two thousand and two. Uh, with the Enron disaster, uh, you know, Anderson's exploded and uh, Ernst and Young were you know, very generously, um, you know, enabled us to merge with them. And at that point, I was the uh, the head of the audit practice in Australia and, you know, I was given a lot of opportunity through Ernst and Young. And, you know, it was, uh, I ended up spending more time at Ernst and Young than I did at Arthur Anderson. So I ended up being a uh, partner for 25 years. Um, I retired. Uh, we we had a mandatory retirement age at 60 in the firm, and um, I, I didn't I didn't really want to wait that extra year until I turned 60. And I I, I always wanted to push myself to do something else, and so uh, yeah, I re- I retired. And uh, seven days after finishing, um, yeah, I was I was offered uh, uh, the opportunity to be the chief executive of the Australian Sports Commission. Uh, which um, probably couldn't have thought of a worse time to do it when uh, when COVID strikes. But anyway, it's been. Uh, I, I don't think. I think in the last seven months, I don't think I've ever worked harder. I mean, I've worked every weekend. Uh, my wife kindly reminds me that I haven't had a weekend off since I started. So just to explain, just to explain for listeners to this, as the CEO now of Sport Australia, which is effectively the government's 
you know, uh, your entity to um, to control or to to manage sport. Do you want to just explain, you know, what Sport Australia is and what your role as CEO is? Because not not many people out there would actually understand that. Yeah, so uh, it's it's a massive role. I uh, we're we're a, um, a obviously a public entity in terms of uh, you know we're a government, so we're we're a government agency. I report to the Minister for Sport. Um, you know, my appointment is. Uh, is ratified by the prime minister, so it's a fairly senior bureaucrat position. Uh, we have a we have a, a, a private entity board uh, with its own constitution, and uh, and we run uh, we run all national sporting organisations in Australia. So any funding that uh, that goes, so you know, to take hockey for instance, we we provide all of the funding uh, from a high performance perspective. Uh, we measure their performances, uh, and and we also provide. Funding for participation as well. So you know some of the the clinics and those sorts of things. We uh, we provide all that funding. So in total, we we provide about two hundred million dollars in funding a year to sport. Um, as I said, we've got 90, 99 sports that, uh, that that report to me. It's been a challenge getting to meet with all ninety nine of them, particularly in lockdown. And uh, and on the other side, we have um, uh, we have a budget of about two hundred million dollars, which we we spend. On, on running programs, uh, you know, participation programs, Indigenous programs, uh, all sorts of development programs, women in sport, girls in sport, all of those sorts of things. And this is probably a very hard question to answer with 100 sports, but how do you work with them? Obviously, they're their own sport. Are you there to give guidance as to and principles or are they you know, allowed to um, – is there a criteria they must meet? How, how does it really operate? Yeah, no, there is there is criteria. So we we work on participation numbers. So if I take a sport that I think is one of the uh, the 2020s up and coming sports is touch rugby, and uh, you know we're, we're I'm I'm really working with them to try and you know really really grow their numbers in participation because because it 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 just works. You know, the more people you get in, the more money that you've got to spend on development and actually develop the sport. I, I think touch football will be a uh, will, will be perhaps a Commonwealth Games sport at some point, maybe even a uh, Maybe even Olympic sport, but but we take those sports and try and um, not only help them with participation, but help them with capability. Uh, so I, I would talk to most CEOs around diversification of income, which is something that I've done at the Richmond Footy Club. You know, be able to build a, a, another income stream and being able to capitalise on some of the uh, the intellectual property that the that the sport has, and and that just gives them more impetus to put more investment into. You know the sports and participation and development. Um, so you know one of the things that I'm working on. I've had a lot of experience in uh, in startup organisations, and I found a few. Uh, you know, really, really, really good uh, emerging technologies in uh, in augmented reality and virtual reality. And I'm trying to develop some coaching platforms that can be used through virtual reality and augmented reality that we can take and take some of our super superstars of, of the past, like yourself and Dave. Uh, and uh, you know Jamie Dwyer and that, and and actually take virtual reality to the masses rather than take them physically, uh, and uh, you know trying to do that actually with the with the Richmond Football Club as well by by taking Dustin Martin and then taking that visual up to the top end and being able to get young Indigenous players trained by Dusty as if they were on the MCG. So some of those sorts of things, which then just creates you know global opportunity to be able to use that technology. So just back to, and that that is related to this question, but around the diversification of income. Clearly, thinking hockey, and you've had a massive uh, involvement. We haven't mentioned yet as the Hockey Victoria chairman 
um, more than 10 years, I'm sure now, but um, and we'll talk to that in a minute. But this diversification of, of revenue is is so critical at the moment. Um, you know, in Australia, we've got a lot of sports. Um, we're not a, a two or three sport country. We've got 20 or 30 or you probably tell me more, but uh, mainstream sports that are all trying to do their participation better. They're all trying to do their pathways programs. And of course, lots of them want to have national leagues and be on the television in front of us um, audience every day. So how do they, What I heard John Wiley talk about this a while ago, diversify revenue. How does hockey find revenue streams? Is it is it still television? Is it um, is it the internet? Is it um, technology, as you just talked about? Yeah, look, I, I think the um, you know the thing with hockey is that you know we're not we're not really going to get a, a contract from a television studio or or a network that's going to give us a whole lot of money like like the AFL, and I think we've got to be really smart. And and, and the thing about hockey is that the times are changing. And, and this is the challenge that all sports have, which is why I identified uh, touch football because it's a relatively new social sport, but it is a social sport. Where we've been trying to do at Hockey Victoria is to we, – we have such a big churn of people in our game. You know, it's, it's, it's really quite sad how, much, how many people we have coming in and how many people we have going out. A lot of the reasons for people not continuing in the sport are not because they don't love the sport or they don't want to play the sport. It's just their personal circumstances – it may be because they've, you know, they've had, uh, you know, had a family. Uh, they might have got a new job or whatever. And unfortunately, in in hockey and and all sports, which I've now realised, is that we have this: you must train twice a week, and you must play on the weekend, and you must go and play at Altona because that's where the game's going to be. And and people don't really want that that whole weekend tied up with those sorts of things. So we've we've got to be a lot better at being able to keep people in the game. And an alternate revenue source is just that social game themselves. And there are just as many people play outside of playing hockey that have actually played hockey that there are playing now. And so, you know, for us to tap into them, it's just a completely brand new source of income. You know, if you, if for those that travel through Europe, you, uh, you see the, uh, the soccer cages that are all over the place, you know, and you see young kids just playing soccer in these cages. You know, it's sort of that we want to get hockey to be that, that game where, you know, you pay your five bucks, you come along and you have a game against your mates and, and you go home and you have a beer afterwards and a sausage and everything's fine. That's the thing. We've got to get away from just being this official game which requires 11 a side on a, on a 100 by 50 metre pitch. You know, we need to be able to find other ways. Uh, and, and Andrew and his team, Andrew Skill and his team, who, you know, have been trying to, trying to do that and, and getting it en masse really does require a fair investment, you know, to be able to get the... You know, if you can imagine taking a uh, an artificial pitch and things into the city so that people can just come along and play, um, you know, it does take a bit of effort. But they're, they're the sort of things we, we don't want people to just to, 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 you know, detract too much from what they're doing but because because that then runs a risk, right, and we don't want to introduce risk into the, into the, into the sport. We don't want someone coming out and taking going and, and becoming a, a, a sunglass manufacturer, right, because it requires cash and investment. We're looking where we can invest our time and our IP and we can actually create new revenue streams. So that, that's really where, you know, I'm really trying to be able to encourage sports to go down that path uh, and just create those extra opportunities. We'll have to say, you know, Hockey Victoria and all credit to you and Andrew Skill in the last 10 years, the way you've attacked that challenge. It's, um, it's, a, it's an ongoing process and bit of a slow burn but gee um you know you can you can as a hockey uh, person you can clearly see that 
Um, you've made some big investments and some big time commitments to getting that, um, you know, being sympathetic to that change. So well done. Um, you know, what, what I hate to sort of think if you hadn't been involved in the administration side in hockey to the last 10 years, where we'd be, we'd be a long, long way behind. So I think the sport owes you a great debt of gratitude. Um, I was going to change topics a little bit and go to, to one of our favourite topics, the Richmond Football Club. Um, so sorry for those out there that haven't yet converted across to the, the black and yellow, but there's still time. The Tiger story is uh, you talked about Campbell in 1980 being 25 years out. Well, Richmond's uh, you know, far worse than that. It was a, a basket case the day that the back of the Herald Sun, there was a headline saying Brendan Gale... On behalf of the board, we're going to have 100,000 members and three premierships in five years and all that stuff that was ridiculed and laughed at. It did get to the absolute bottom, didn't it? And you were there sticking to your strategic plan. I always remember talking to you. You were always calm, confident, and you believed that it would happen. Incredible, incredible story. Yeah. Look, I I joined in 2004 and and I was asked. We we were in a horrible, horrible state. I forgot to mention, Rob, you've been on the board involved in all that time. I didn't introduce you. For people that didn't know, Rob has been a long-time board member, so sorry to interrupt, but no, yeah, keep going. Yeah, so I, I, I got involved at, in, in 2004 and, you know, we were horrible. I think when I joined, uh, uh, we had 25,000 members. You know, we were certainly – we had $6.5 million worth of debt. The first meeting that I had with anybody was uh, was our insurer who told me that they were no longer going to insure us, uh, which I, I just scratched my head and thought, what the hell have I done? I think, you know, certainly for the first five years, I, I, I reckon I worked 40 hours a week. I was, I was getting to, getting to Richmond at about six in the morning and working till about eight and then on my way home as well, just trying to navigate through. Um, if you can imagine, you know, and, and the Campbell Hockey Club has always been just such an immaculately run organisation, you know, for those that haven't ever been outside of the Campbell Hockey Club, uh, you know, do yourself a favour, go and visit another club and see how poorly things are run. Uh, or how, how much different things are run, but you know, Richmond, it was it was like it was a community club. I couldn't believe it. This is a club that I barracked for all my life. You know, I've been uh, followers as as ones. We would we 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 love the Tigers. It was it was just an old. It was really just a, a committee, and you know, I, I, it was really tough to actually see to navigate the way through. And the board members were doing the best that they could, but they were you know they were fans, and and it, there was a big difference between you know, the corporate role that we needed to take in this organisation, the responsibility we had. And we were we were able to, um, I think in the first year, we were able to stem the tide, you know, just make sure that we didn't, that the, the year that I got involved, I actually got involved at the end of the year, but they lost $2.5 million that year, which was a pretty bloody good effort actually because uh, I don't know how you lose that much money in a footy club. I, I, I really don't. But it was uh, getting good people on, you know, finding the poison in any organisation, there's poison had to find the poison, and you had to. We had to stick the course, and uh, and so I put a lot of as 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 the finance person responsible for for turning that around. Uh, we never made another loss in in my term in the in the next fourteen years. We we uh, we broke even or better, um, and then we um, you know Brendan Gale came involved in about uh, two thousand and uh, two thousand and ten, I think it was ten, uh, yeah uh, nine, and. Um, and he was a, a, a ray of sunshine. I mean, he, he came out with the 75,000 members, uh, you know, three appearances and a, and a grand final. Everyone did laugh at him. But I knew at that time we were on the, we were on the right path and, you know, he was just such a, uh, such a warrior, you know. And, he, and, and the great thing was that, you know, he felt some responsibility for being a player at Richmond 
you know, for being able to turn it around. And, you know, he's certainly been able to do that. And I think fast forward to, you know, 2019 when when I left, um, you know, we again had compulsory retirement after nine years as being a director and I had 15. So I think I'd probably overstayed the policy. But, you know, in handing over, uh, again, Chatham House rules, but, you know, we ended up with something like $35 million in the bank, uh, which and two premierships and, uh, you know, a pretty good, uh, pretty good facility at Richmond. And, uh, and, we, and we'd created another business. We'd created a business called Align Leisure that, um, that you know, I, I, uh, I helped create, which, which gave us another source of income. So even though, you know, it's COVID and all the clubs are, are struggling, we, we've, we've got an income coming in from, uh, from Align Leisure. So uh, amazing journey. I, I had the great fortune uh, ones I, I, I really wanted to embed myself and uh, and and in in 2007 I asked my family whether they would be interested in taking on a host family role for a player and uh, and of course the kids were only very young and and they they really wanted to do it and I had no choice in who it was but this was going to be a, a an, an interstate draftee and anyway we were very fortunate to have uh, to have had Jack Revolt as our as our host. Uh, we were the host family of, and you know, Jack essentially became uh, you know part of our family. And in fact, he was only supposed to stay for six months. And after six months, he uh, he got his girlfriend Carly to come over and live with us. And uh, it was uh, they lived with us for five years. And uh, and then he he wanted to buy a house, and he wanted to buy a house within a kilometre of our house. And uh, so in, we ended up finding something a hundred metres away. And uh, you know, I still. Uh, you know, Jack and Carly and their beautiful daughter Poppy are, are, are a big part of our family. It's been an amazing journey. Uh, it has too, because he's been the, the real face of Richmond in a lot of ways. The the ups and downs, and he's uh, he's hung in. And you know, the part you've told me about the amount of operations, we wouldn't really understand the yeah. the medical side how difficult that is. But to even seem this year where there's weeks where he's looked pretty tired, and it's you can understand him being worn out. And then he comes back the last couple of weeks and. Um, bounces around so I think um yeah that's he actually is a pretty good you know poster boy of the how difficult the struggle is it's it's not all high-flying marks and premiership medals it's a it's a journey isn't it uh look I, I can tell you and Jack won't, won't mind me saying it you know in the early days um you know as a as a dad and I've got three sons uh, you, you know my own uh three you know three athletes all have done uh, pretty well with themselves but I gotta tell you when uh you know, in the early days, I spent more time parenting Jack than uh, than I did my boys. Uh, just the pressure of AFL football, we don't, we really don't understand it. I mean, Jack, Jack is a, is just a an incredible human being, and uh, a great learner. You know, he's a sponge. He used to get up early in the morning and talk to me about different things that happen overnight in the in the world. And you know, he, he really he really has set himself up, and he's a very very intelligent football person. So. It's it's hard work, you know, and uh, and I got to see that firsthand, and we got to see him win best and fairest and premierships and sing on the stage with the Killers and Coleman medals and all that sort of stuff. We've been, you know, we saw his first game, and you know, we'll see his last. So, you know, he's been incredible. I would like to get him down the the park though and just fix up that two step run up sometimes when he when he sprays them right. But um, I'll, I think I'll le- I'll leave him to it. He, he's kicked more goals than I have, so. I'll, I'll let him do that. Um, look, that, that probably gets to another point. Just want to talk a little bit about is your your interest and your your capacity. You've been exceptional at mentoring, and um, I, I learned of that at, at the firm when you're at EY, listening to bumped into friends that had come across you, and then I've seen you do it <clears throat> at the hockey 
side of things and, of course, um, the Richmond Footy Club. How's that sort of happened? And, um, you know, funny enough, when you mentioned coaching the Camwell Juniors when you first walked in, I guess it was perhaps sparked there, but you seem to be pretty good at it. Have you got any sort of thoughts and views and tips for how much uh, you get you get out of doing that? Yeah, look, I, I, I the, the spark, I suppose, has definitely definitely came from, you know, the, the getting involved with Campbell Hockey Club and, and seeing people like Al Carnell. I mean, everyone will know Al, uh, Bill Horman and, uh, you know, Pete Collins and these sort of people who were just there, you know, and, and, and they knew that, you know, they, they could come up and have a chat and they, they, they could help you out. And I think from that, um, the experience that I had coaching, you know, the kids, I mean, I, I coached um, I coached Lockie Dreyer's sister, Trina, uh, and, uh, and and Trina was the first uh, female to actually you know be involved in a boys team. That's that's how long ago it was. And I and I think that just that seeing people respond and just that care, I I, I really found that that I love that. And I suppose I suppose it it became something that I did at, at um, in work as well. I, you know, I took on the the recruiting role. I was head of recruiting for thirty five years, as a matter of fact, and. And just the pleasure that I got out of that, and and uh, seeing people develop. I I remember um, you know sitting at my last partners meeting and looking around the table. Uh, you know we had we had thirty partners in in my area, and I looked around the table, and eight of them I recruited and trained, and and there is just there is nothing better than than that feeling that you have had an influence on someone's life, and it 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 really does help and. You know, I, I suppose I've carried that forward both in, uh, you know, in my career at uh, at, at hockey. Uh, you know, my involvement with Andrew Skillen, who uh, and 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 others. You know, there there you know others that I uh, I've really had an interest in, and seeing people just perform is just so good. It really is, and I I would really encourage everybody. It's interesting, Dave. Um, you know, we're in we're in a really challenging period in life now. Uh, the one thing that 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 you know I'm working really hard at is to get people back to playing sport. Hard as that may believe, be, believe, but it, that is our biggest challenge. Um, but the interesting thing is that the the, the numbers at the moment are around the uh, around the country for getting people back is, is they're not bad, right? I mean they're, they're they're actually not bad. But the big drop off is that we've seen about a thirty percent drop off in volunteers. You know, and and that that really hurts because if we don't have volunteers, we don't have a game. Um, and, and I think being a volunteer, you know, we've all done it and, you know, take my hat off to everyone, that, but give it a go, you know, get the for, – for me, when I looked at, uh, at CVs when I was recruiting people, if I saw somebody who was a coach of the Altona Hockey Club and I put them to the top of the pile because in my what, – what the traits that I'm looking for in a person is that I, I want those people who are loyal and I want those people that are caring because if you get caring people, well, then that just creates a culture. And so the benefits of being a, a volunteer and mentor and, and all of those sort of things are far greater than we've ever thought about them. You know, and, and I'm really looking to, uh, to start to join corporates with me to, to acknowledge volunteers, coaches and mentors, to actually give them some sort of benefit in their career, you know, give them a you know, a standard, like an AIS standard of, you know, this person has done this coaching and, and that makes him a, you know, a member of society that we want to encourage to do better. So, uh, you know, I really, it, uh, for me, I love it. I love helping people probably to a fault, but, um, 
you know, I, I, it, it's such a great feeling. And I know, Dave, you know, you, you just uh, – I was talking to my wife, Lisa, before and the, the things that you've got involved with. I mean, you, you know the answer. You know, helping people is just such a great thing. Yeah, well, look, it, it is, Rob. And I think, you know, community sport, um, as we've missed it in this last while, I think we're all missing that – the connection and the involvement, the buzz that it gives for a whole range of reasons. So hopefully we're all back out there on sporting fields. There's certainly lots of people out there exercising, but they all want to go crash and bash and hit some goals and uh, – and get their animal spirits going. But, look, I think we'll finish off on that note. It's, it's a great note to finish on. You've been um, an incredible uh, influence in sport, Rob, already. I mean, from all range tonight, we've looked at um, you know, the Campbell Hockey Club. We've been fortunate to have your input. Hockey Victoria, clearly, Richmond Football Club, and now uh, Sport Australia is the beneficiary of your passion, your expertise, um, your smarts. So it's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's great to see that you found something that's going to keep you, uh, your fire burning. I think it also speaks, you must have a wife there that seems to, um, she deserves a few bronze gold medals, I'd say, given uh, how much time you've spent. So we better give her a plug. We also should say good day to your great old mate, Greg Reed, stuck up at the moment with his um, terrible um, you know, injury. And uh, we're all, I think, all those Moravan guys that came across as we talked tonight about that. Um, you know, we're all hoping, praying and um, you know, best wishes for him. Yeah, if I can give uh, uh, if I can give a big shout out to Greg, it's it's been really difficult during COVID. Uh, we're great mates. I could tell lots of stories on uh, another podcast if anyone wanted to hear stories about Greg, and he'd be he'd be cringing at the moment thinking about the stories of him waking up on my doorstep every uh, every Saturday morning because we used to have training on a Saturday morning with Arg. But um, but but Greg, if you are listening, uh, a big shout out. Uh, my thoughts are with you. Um, uh, my dad uh, also gave his thoughts just uh, unfortunately before he got COVID. He's, he's battling away um, and hopefully, uh, you know, he pulls through. But uh, life is an amazing thing. You never know what it's going to serve up. But I do want to thank you, Dave. It's been terrific. I want to thank the members of the, the Campbell Hockey Club. I will say um, I got a wonderful note from from Simon and the board of Campbell congratulating me on my uh, my career as uh, president of Hockey Victoria, uh, you don't know how much that meant to me because of the uh, the place that, that Campbell has in in my heart, and my family's heart, and you know it's uh, it's great to do these things, and uh, you know uh, really gives me a, a shiver up the back to think uh, back to those days that uh, that that I was a part of uh, what is I think the, the greatest hockey club in uh, uh, in Australia. You've been listening to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. We'd like to send a big thank you to our hosting team, our guests, and you, the listener, for your support. If you enjoy the show, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is recorded and produced by Camberwell Hockey Club in Melbourne, Australia. If you have any feedback, comments, or questions, please find us on Twitter at Camberwell underscore HC or see more information on our website, camberwell.hockey.